1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're just going to read this through, and I'm going to make comments as we go through the story. 1 Samuel 17, verse 1, and I think the scripture is going to be on the screen eventually. 1 Samuel 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered together to battle, and were gathered together at Shothjoth, which belongs to Judah, and pitched between Shochah and Azrikah in Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side and there was a valley between them. And try to picture this in your mind from what we just saw. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. Six cubits in a span is really over nine feet. This is a man who was over nine feet tall. Imagine that. Uh, where did this man come from? Well, he was part of the sons of Anakim that were left over from Joshua chapter 2, verse 11, where... Joshua did not kill, or his armies did not kill all the inhabitants of Canaan. So there were some giants that were left in the land. Goliath also had brothers. And so this man was nine feet tall, and that was really what his name means, Goliath. It means a, a champion or a man that stands between two. That's what his name means, Goliath. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and you saw him, he took it off. That's an interesting... That's an interesting speculation that he took it off, and that's why he, he was hit and was killed so easily. That, and he was all armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. One commentator says that this is about 200 pounds. Imagine having a scaled um, mail around your torso that weighed itself in 200 pounds. And he had, he had greaves of brass upon his legs, or they were actually shin guards. And he had a target of brass between his shoulders. So that meant that behind him, between his shoulders, there was a smaller shield. And in verse 7, the staff of his spear was a weaver's beam. Now, how many know how long a weaver's beam is? It can be calculated or estimated about 12 feet long. Imagine having a spear 12 feet long. The spear, the purpose of the spear was to keep the enemy back at a distance when they were charging or in offensive mode. And there was a spear's head that weighed 600 shekels of iron. And get this, one bearing a shield went before him. So there was Goliath with all of his armor. Then he had this weaver's beam that was probably somehow attached also to his back, or he had it in his hands. You saw in the film there that he also had a sword, and that's mentioned later. But there was also another man. Goliath had a man that walked in front of him that had a very large shield. It was probably a full-body shield, about six to seven feet long or tall. And in verse 8, And he stood and cried to the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come... Why are you come out to set battle in array? 
Am I not a Philistine and ye servants of Saul? Isn't that interesting that Goliath calls the armies of Israel, not the armies of Israel or the armies of the Lord God, but he calls them the servants of Saul. See, the entire army of Saul was in unbelievable fear, and they were paralyzed by this Goliath. And therefore, in their fear, they lost their identity. And this is, I'm going to make a bunch of different points, and this is point number one. Now, when we live in fear, when we have a Goliath in front of us, we're going to talk about how we deal with Goliath in a minute, but when we have a Goliath in front of us and we live in fear, then we begin to lose our identity and we begin to be called a servant of fear or uh, we begin to live in our identity that is outside of who God has made us to be. And so he is, every day it said that he came out and he would challenge them to send a man, let him come down and fight me. And this is really what the world does today, doesn't it? The world every day challenges the believer, challenges you and I and says, come out, let's engage, let's go at it, let's, let's have a fight. And if he, if he be able, in verse 9, to fight me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then ye shall be my, ye shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I define, before we say this, this is what Goliath was. He was a man that stood between the, the armies of God and the armies of God possessing their, their land and their possessions. And today there are many people that face Goliaths in their lives. A Goliath is something that is very intimidating to look at. We could all probably, within a few minutes, look at our own lives and see some kind of a Goliath, or more, maybe even more than one Goliath. It could be in our relationships. It could be at our job. It could be a Goliath of finances. It could be a Goliath of our health. It could actually be a person in our life that creates a lot of intimidation that really causes us to tremble and to look at circumstance. And this Goliath is really standing, just like his name means, between us and the promises of God. And this Goliath, he is arrogant. What he does is, is every day he comes out and he has his little speech. I defy, this is what he says. Listen to the arrogance of this man. He says here in verse, um, verse 10, the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Notice the word fight. When Jesus came, he, did he come and fight or did he come and surrender his life like that song that we heard at the offering? Did he come and surrender his life to God and his will? He said, give me a man to fight. And that's the, world, that's the conversation or the language of the world. Fight, struggle, the daily grind, the, uh, the, um, the, the daily battle that people that can be so easily drawn into. And we understand right from the outset here of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that our battle in our life is not with flesh and blood. We are not dealing with people. We look at people, we deal with people, but many times, like Goliath, people just represent something else behind them. When you are dealing with someone that is very difficult to deal with, that is 
being used in your life in a very, in a very uh, intense way in spiritual warfare. Remember this, that it's not flesh and blood that you're dealing with, but there's something behind that. And maybe the person or the situation doesn't even realize that that's happening, but the devil can actually use Goliaths, he can use situations, he can use people, he can energize that to create a lot of atmospheric traffic around, to, around us to create some kind of disorientation. Goliath, and this is really from a, from a war perspective, this was a very poor strategy what Goliath was doing. I'm not a war master or anything like that, but if you think about it carefully, Goliath was the best of the best, and that was all that the Philistines had. And so they threw him out front first. And, and, and David understood that, because if, the, if Goliath can be defeated, the whole battle's over. And Goliath was right. If you beat me, then we'll be your servants. That was the strategy. And that's what the devil does. He, he throws out the Goliath. Goliath is just a representation of all that the devil can do. Actually, I think there's a term, I was reading about it earlier this morning, in warfare called representative warfare or representative tactics, where you put out into the forefront a very intimidating um, picture or a very intimidating portrayal of power. And what you try to do with that is you try to scare the enemy away. I don't know how, how many of you like watching boxing, but when, you, when the boxers come out, and even before they start... Uh, there's a lot of psychological game going on. There's a lot of um, uh, intimidation that is happening right on the stage before the first punch is even thrown. Because sometimes the battle is won on, right from the psychological perspective. And the Philistines said, after he defined the, the armies of Israel, give me a man that we might fight together. And that's what the world wants to do with us. Because the devil's like, come out and fight on my terms, and I'll beat you. If we ever, whenever we step out on the terms of the way the devil wants to engage with us, we're going to lose. Because the devil knows his ground. He knows what his advantages are. He knows what his sphere of, of victory is. And he's always inviting the believer to come in and get involved with some skirmishes that are so much less than that are the, the plan and the eternal purpose that God has in our life. The devil wants us to get into petty skirmishes with people, with our husbands, with our wives, with, with our workers, our co-workers, with, with other people. Petty, petty skirmishes. And we all have experienced that. We get drawn into something when somebody pushes our buttons. And we were talking Thursday night here about allowing our words to be spoken from God's perspective and not from human perspective. And the devil wants to draw us into his arena where he's controlling the arena. But see, look at the response here of Saul and his men in verse 11. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed. You know what that word dismayed means? It means that they were discouraged to the point they had no energy. You ever been dismayed before? It's a combination of discouragement and disappointment. And when they heard that, they were greatly afraid. And in verse 12, David was the son of that Ephraim of Bethlehem, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and the man went among men for an old man, 
in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to battle. Now we covered last week the names of these sons and what they meant. And the names of the three sons that went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, the next unto him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. And in verse 14, David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. Now look, Saul attracted people. He attracted insecure men. I don't want to get into the next message, but he, he attracted people that were all about themselves and that were, well, Saul was very narcissistic in a lot of ways. And, the, and David, in verse 15, went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. That's a big statement because David didn't follow Saul. David was not a man that was attracted to leaders or people that were narcissistic. David was attracted to God. And David was attracted to his little mission with sheep. And you see this. I mean, this is quite a dramatic story here. But you see two or three times in this chapter that David is tending his sheep. That's really amazing because it'd be so easy and dramatic in dramatic circumstances. And the next point, this is the next point I want to make, that in dramatic situations, it would be very easy for us to forsake those little things that God has called us to do, to disregard them, to count them as not important. And so David goes to his sheep, and the Philistine drew near morning and evening, every morning, every night, and presented himself 40 days. What is the word, what's the number 40 mean in the Bible? Like everything has meaning in the Bible. Every word, every description. The word, the number 40 in the, in the Bible speaks of the, the, the totality of temptation. It means the fullness of, of temptation. It means the long drawn out process of, of the beginning and the process and the end of temptation. It's a trial. Uh, we see that Jesus was 40 days in the desert in, in Matthew chapter 4 without food. In many other circumstance, circumstances in the Bible, 40 speaks of the totality of the temptation. And here is Goliath tempting the armies of God. And Jesse said to David, to his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephath of parched corn and these ten loaves and run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of the thousand, and he, and look how they look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. Now Saul and they said, all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. They weren't fighting; they were just fighting in their minds. They were battling the psychological battle. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper. Notice left the sheep with a keeper. That's amazing, isn't it? Just amazing how he was so, so faithful with details. And he took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going to forth to fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. They were ready to go at it. They were ready to go to the Philistines. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. 
And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and they were sore afraid. So here they all are all lined up, ready to go and to attack the Philistines. Goliath comes forward, and they all shrink back, and they're afraid. They go back to their trenches. And verse 24, And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him with great riches and give him his daughter <coughs> and make his father's house free in Israel. Two things I want you to notice here. That when people live in fear, and when we are living in fear and intimidation, Two extremes happen in our life. We begin to talk about the fear. Turn the news on today. It's just all about talking about the fear. And uh, there's such a spirit of fear today in the news. Number one, people talk about fear. They, they, they amplify the problem. They amplify the situation. They spend a lot of time talking with each other. Did you hear what happened? Do you know what's going on with me? Did you see what so-and-so did? It's unbelievable, and people can talk for hours about that. And then the other extreme is the reward. That It's like when people talk about the jackpot. If I won the jackpot, if I won the lottery, I would just have so much money. It would be so incredible. Um, in Baltimore, there was a group of bikers that won, uh, I think, $250 million. I think that's how much they won. And they have, they, they're just these very simple guys. They were just, they were, they were metal workers. They worked in a metal shop. And when they were asked on TV what they would do with the money, the guys, the, the one guy said, I'm going to buy my wife a motorcycle. I was like, you know, wow, that's amazing. What a, what a plan. People live, when we live in fear, we live in, we live in, in uh, exalting and making the success and the reward some unachievable thing. Like, this is so far out there, this is so unbelievable that I could never attain to it. If, if, we, if someone beats Goliath, then they're going to have great riches, their house is going to be free in Israel, they won't have to pay taxes, and, uh, and guess what? They get to marry the daughter of Saul. And that was the great prize. That was the two great extremes. And so... David spoke to the men in verse 26 that stood by him saying, What shall be done to the man that kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? David, weren't you listening? They just said what's going to happen. Why does David ask that question? This is the next point. David asks the question because David is, he is making the issue the reward. He is making the issue of the prize. He's not talking about Goliath. He's not talking about how great and mighty Goliath is. As a matter of fact, we see in the second part of this verse, he says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Not once in this chapter, read it for yourself, does David call Goliath Goliath. He never uses the word Goliath. He calls him an uncircumcised, dirty, pagan Philistine, who defied the armies of the living God. Who is this guy, David said. So David never calls Goliath, Goliath. And that's very important. That's the next point I want to make here, is that the child of God, you and I, we don't look at things as the way other people look at things. We don't call things the way some people call things. 
the great economic problem. We don't say that. We say we are talking about God's great faithfulness. We don't talk about, oh, the, uh, the, the great armies that are invading another country. We don't say that. We say, we say God is in control. We, are, we were working in here last night, and we had some music playing, and it was an old song that I was listening to, but God is in control. And I was thinking, you know, that, was, that song was sung in the 80s. I was kind of laughing about it, but it was by Twilight Paris. But I was thinking, and as I was removing the broken window here, I was thinking, God is in control of what's going on in the world, not people. And so David says he never calls Goliath Goliath. And that says a believer, don't call things the, the way the world calls things. Speak, call it from God's perspective. What is Goliath in God's perspective? Uncircumcised, pagan, Goliath, uh, not Goliath, but Philistine that, that uh, defied the armies of the living God. And the people answered him after this manner, verse 27, saying, So shall it be done to this man that kills him. So they start talking about, again, the reward. And Eliab, his eldest brother, in verse 28, heard when he spoke to the men. So David's speaking to the men. He's, he's an 18, 17, 18-year-old man, young man. And he's challenging the armies, you know, these officers. He's saying, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And when the brother, his brother, older brother, heard him speak to the men, Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? With whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? And see, Eliab here had a problem with David because Eliab could see, well, Eliab was just jealous of David's courage. David being the oldest, and I'm the oldest of, of four in my family, and Older brothers can sometimes get this thing about younger brothers. There could be this jealousy or this competition. And Eliab is saying, why did you come down here? You just wanted to see the fight. And who did you leave the sheep with? And David said, what have I done now? Verse 29. He said, what are you getting on my case for? He said, and the second part of the verse, and this is the next point I want to make, is there not a cause? David is saying, what are you talking about, Eliab? Everybody's talking about Goliath. Everybody's talking about the problem. Everybody's talking about the, the unattainable reward that's out there. Uh, no one's talking about the eternal purpose of God here. I am here, David said, because of an eternal purpose. See, David's, the criticism that David received never allowed, ne David never allowed it to eject him from his purpose. I'll say it again this way. The problems that David experienced by people misjudging him all the time, he never allowed that to discourage him from his great purpose that he had in God. He said, is there not a cause? Is there not a purpose? Is there not a plan? Is there not a God that is living in Israel today? And that was his whole motive when he took on this whole thought about, David, about Goliath. When we stand before Goliath in our lives, and sometimes people may even just take shots at you, or the atmosphere may take shots at you, and you may feel very intimidated, don't look at yourself. Look at God's purpose. Look at God's cause in your life. Look at God's plan. Look at God's equipping. Uh, Paul said that I have been made a minister by the grace of God. Look at the great grace of God 
in your life. Look at the purpose and the mission that God has given. Is there not a cause? See, David doesn't even get into an argument with his brother. And see, there are always these little situations that want to pull us into small skirmishes that are so much less than the great cause that God has called us to. David doesn't even answer it. Sometimes, sometimes when I feel I'm being pulled into a discussion that's just, just so idle and just has no purpose, who's right, who's wrong, I just, I just, I don't get involved with it. I just, I'm just going to be occupied with the purpose. You know, sometimes there can be a lot of politics in some churches or a lot of things that go on and we just never want to lose sight of our purpose. And we always want to build ourselves up in our calling and God's call in our lives. And he turned from him toward another in verse 30. I like that. He just turns around. He says, this is no problem. I'm just going to talk to somebody else. And he spake after the same matter. And the people answered him again after the former matter. And when the words were heard, which David spoke in verse 31, they rehearsed them before Saul and he sent for him. Isn't that amazing? Saul's hearing about this little kid talking about who is this guy defying the great armies of Israel, the armies of the living God? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? When you and I speak faith, this is the next point. I don't, I don't even know what point number it is, but when you and I talk faith, and when we talk from God's perspective, no matter how small we may be in the great scheme of things, your words are going to reach to the top. You don't have to strive. You don't have to try to, you don't have to, we, we don't have to try to uh, advertise what we're saying. Just speak. Because sooner or later, your words of God's, from God's point of view, from the word of God, and not human opinion, but from the word of God, it's going to reach to the top. And someone's going to give you a phone call, and they're going to say, what are you talking about? I want to hear about these great promises you're talking about. Isn't that amazing? Because words travel. Words will travel. Words are not something that just stay, but they will travel. And they will reach people's ears. And so Saul calls for him, the king. And in verse 32, listen to these words. I love these words. I, I just think about these words so much, and they express David's heart. In verse 32, David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. What an encourager, right? He goes to the king. He walks up to the king and he says, let no man's heart fail because of this uncircumcised Philistine. Isn't that amazing? Little guy walks up. I remember, <clears throat> I remember my wife and I were coming out of a restaurant on the eastern shore in Maryland. And um, right in front of us was Donald Rumsfeld. How many know who he is? Former state of, Secretary of State. Secretary of Defense during the Bush years. And uh, we're standing there. I look, I mean, I open the door. He's looking at me. I'm looking at him. He's just right there. And his wife is there. His kids are there and all his grandkids. My wife and her are standing there. So I'm thinking, he's looking straight at me and I'm looking straight at him. And I was like, I was like, Mr. Mumsfield. And you know how when you're in a situation, you don't even like, you know, God just takes over. I said, Mr. Mumsfield, what an honor to meet you. And I shook his hand. I said, you know, we're praying for you. Uh, our whole church is praying for you. He goes, you are? What church? I said, Greater Grace. And he turned to his wife and he goes, honey, did you hear that? They're praying for us. And they were like so happy to hear that. And the, his kids came over and the grandkids came over. I said, yeah, we're praying for you and God bless you. And he, he, 
and all the security, all these guys, these huge guys, they all look like Goliaths. They had these polo shirts with these very, you know, like under the polo shirt there was like a lump there. And we're eating, you know, before I met him, we're, we're sitting there eating at this restaurant, we're eating and these men are like walking back and forth looking at people and I'm, and I'm thinking, I wonder if there's some kind of a dignitary here because, you know, when you, I don't know if you've ever met uh, um, Secret Service people, uh, but they're, you know, when they look at you, you're just, you know, they're looking right through you. They, they know how to look at you. So I don't know why I brought that up. What did I bring that up for? Oh, whatever. Just an interesting story. And so David said to Saul, he said, thy servant will go and fight this Philistine. Thy servant. Saul, insecure leader, narcissist, problematic, courageless man. I will go and fight for you. I am your servant. And Saul said to David, now listen to Listen to Saul's viewpoint. Verse 33. We're going to be done in here in a minute. Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine. Wow, thank you. You're not able to do this, Saul. I'm David. King of Israel. You know, you're not able to do this, David. And, and why? He gives a reason here. Because you are a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. Why does Saul say this? Because Saul <clears throat> is looking for a man like Goliath in his army. He is not looking for a man of God. He is looking for a man that's comparable to Goliath. And that we do that all the time. We're looking for things in our life that could stand up against Goliath. And there's nothing in our life. There is no man in Israel that's like Goliath. That's not his height or that had his battle hardened experience. But there is a man of God, and that's David, who spent time with God and loved God and had a heart after God. And so, and so David said to Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered the lamb out of his mouth, and he rose against me. I caught him by his beard, and I smote him and slew him. And thy servant slew both the lion and the bear and this, and this uncircumcised Philistine. What did David do? David reverted to his experience with God. Isn't that amazing? Think of that for a minute. When someone tells you that you're not able to handle this situation, or when you tell yourself that, or when the atmosphere projects at you and I that we can't handle this, guess what? Revert back to your testimony and your history with God and think about how David, with his bare hands, took a lion. I guess it says it smote him. I guess he punched him. I don't know what he had smote him, but smiting mean. It just means he hit the lion, grabbed him by his beard, opened the mouth, and let the lamb out. And he did the same thing with the bear. And he says, and this uncircumcised Philistine is no different. Wow. What a perspective. What an amazing perspective. And he shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defined the armies of the living God. See, it wasn't about David. It was about God and God's people. And David said, moreover, the Lord hath delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear, and he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. Isn't that amazing? God delivered me in this situation. God delivered me in this situation. And guess what? He's going to deliver you in this situation. Amen? 
We've got to learn how to say that. God was faithful 10 years ago. God was faithful five years ago. And guess what? God's going to be faithful to me today. Amen? And Saul armed David with his armor. And he put, as, put on a helmet of brass upon his head. He armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor. And he said, it says he tried to move, but he could not because he had not proved them. And this is, another, this is another problem that Saul had. Saul was thinking always from human viewpoint. And he said, I'm going to give you what I know works or what doesn't work. And David tried it, and he could not, it did not fit him. This is the next point. Never use something in warfare that you don't have experience with. It may work for somebody else, but what works for you is going to be that stone, that simple tool that God gives us, and that is the slingshot and the five stones. These five stones... Why were there five? Well, some say that uh, Goliath had four brothers, and David was picking five stones because he was going to hit, he was going to kill Goliath, and if his four brothers came after him, he was ready for them also. These stones were smooth, and they were smooth because they were in a riverbed, and that meant that the water would go over them, like the water of the Holy Spirit in the river would just form and would... Uh, shape these stones for many, many years until that one day for that great battle. These were prepared stones. These were instruments that God had prepared for that day. And David took them out of the brook, put them in his shepherd's bag, <clears throat> which he had even in a script. That's interesting, a script, like in a little paper letter. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine... And look at this, the Philistine came on and drew near to David and the man which bare the shield before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and a fair countenance. Here's the next point, is that when you approach your Goliath with the, with the tools that God gives you, the five tools, five always speaks of grace also. When we approach our Goliath, or that mountain in Zechariah where it says, shout grace, grace to the mountain. When we approach this Goliath in grace, then don't, don't be surprised when the circumstance begins to turn on you. Goliath begins to disdain David. Why? Because the Goliath was utterly embarrassed that a kid would come with him, come to him with sticks and stones and just very menial uh, weapons. Goliath says here, Am I a dog that you come with me, that you come to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Who were the, who were the Goliath's gods? They were demons. I mean, this is unbelievable. Here is this huge giant yelling at David in the name of his demonic gods. Talk about atmospheric pressure in that conflict at that moment. No punches have been thrown, but there's already all of this atmospheric activity going on with uh, demonic curses and all of these things being spoken by Goliath. He said, Goliath said, am I a dog? Goliath felt like a dog. Can you imagine that? That Goliath felt so embarrassed that this man comes to him with stones and 
And, uh, and David said, he said, David said to the Philistine in verse 45, Do you come to me with a sword and a spear and a shield? But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. And he just pinpointed it there. He said, you're coming in the, in the power of your own weapons and your own confidence, but I'm coming to you, not in my own name, but I'm coming in the name of the Lord. You know, when we approach circumstances, or when we have things that we're doing, always do it in the name of the Lord, because there's a covering there, there's a protection there. Whenever we do something, always begin with prayer, always, always bathe it with God's mind. Open the Bible and bathe your circumstance from the perspective of God. And this day, verse 46, I will, this day will the Lord deliver you into my hand. I will smite, ye, smite thee, take thy head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day to the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, and all that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Wow, would you say David's a little confident? Would you say he's got a little guts there? He said, God's going to, he's like, even before the fight starts, he's got his stones, he's got his, you saw him in the film there, like the raggedy shepherd's clothes. And he said, this day, God's going to deliver you into my hand. I'm going to cut your head off. And then all of your, all of your soldiers are going to be bird food for the fowls of the air. And all this is going to happen so that all the nations around will know that there is a God in Israel. And this is really the <clears throat> advantage in warfare is that we are not going in our own name. We're going that people, that this world would know that there is a God in your life, that there's a God in this church, that there's a God in your family, that there's a God in your, in your personal life. And that's what the devil is so afraid of. And so <clears throat> as we continue here, I want to just wrap it up with this, that and it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to David that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. I like that. David didn't just kind of like mosey along, didn't, you know, kind of like hesitant or word. He just ran right at the Philistine. <clears throat> and he put his hand as he's running. This is, and I think Pastor Tony said this yesterday. Was it the brothers of from the tribe of Benjamin? that were skilled in slingshots that they could... Was it you that was telling me this? All right. He is running. David was so skilled. He is running at top speed at Goliath, puts his hand into the shepherd bag, loads his sling up and starts slinging it. Starts, what do you, whatever you call it, winging it or whatever you call it. <laughs> he's doing this and he's going right at, at Goliath and smote the Philistine and slew him. And there was... Let's see, I'm sorry, I missed... And smote the Philistine in his forehead, and the stone didn't bounce off his head like we saw in the film. It sunk right in and slew him, and he fell on his face to the earth. I want to just finish with this, that where was Goliath's weakness? It was in his head, wasn't it? It was in his forehead. What was Goliath's problem? Not that he had armor, not that he was a Philistine, but his thinking was wrong. And that's where we always gain the advantage with the enemy, the way we think and the way they think. The enemy is not thinking right. The circumstance, 
whatever is happening, what you may feel as a great threat in your life, is not thinking clearly in God's mind. And that's their great weakness. And that's where we have our advantage, with one stone. <clears throat> really, David wins the battle with one stone. The entire Philistine army is defeated because of one of five stones. And that is our great advantage, and that's our great benefit as a believer, that, that we win. We have victory over a circumstance by just one stone because we understand that the way the system thinks, the way people think, or the way the flesh thinks is so off. And when we and, and that rock, of course, speaks of Christ being our rock. When that when we put all of our trust in that rock, Jesus Christ, the battle is over and Goliath is what? Not on his he's on his face. And the Bible says that he was on his I think that's significant because that just shows total surrender and submission in defeat. He was on his face before David and the armies. David takes his head off brings it to Saul, the, the Philistines are in, are, are in full flight mode, and the, the, <clears throat> the Israeli army goes after them, slays them all the way back home to Gath, and Saul says to Abner, his, his uh, head military guy, he says, bring this young man to me, and he doesn't let him leave his court from that time on. This is how we... This is how we beat Goliath in our life. We never call Goliath by his name. And we don't trust in the weapons of our own warfare. Did not Paul say to the Corinthians that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God's the pulling down of strongholds. Be very careful how you and I talk about Goliath, either in your life or in somebody else's life. Because if we call him Goliath, then we are actually, we are actually reaffirming or we are strengthening the atmosphere or the, the spirit of fear. We always want to speak from God's perspective about the way God sees Goliath. And sometimes we can see it on Facebook or in conversations. People have like their opinions about things. Like, this is what I think should happen, or this is what I think. And it's not from God's perspective, and it's just idle words in Matthew 12, verse 36. Let's live in a promise. Let's live with our eyes on the purpose, the cause... And let's look at the prize, and that's, let's understand who Goliath is in the perspective of who God is. Because you and I, as we walk by faith like David did, we step out into the battlefield by faith, and guess what? God will use you. God needs you and I to go to people and say, don't, let, don't get discouraged because of this circumstance. I, your servant or your friend, will go and deal with this. Sometimes we need to be Davids in other people's lives because there are people like Saul that are just living in fear, that are living paralyzed in God's plan. And they need someone like you and I to go up and say, don't be discouraged. Here's what God thinks about the situation and this is what God's going to do. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you, God.